Welcome to What Makes a Garden. My name's Ginny Blom and I'm a landscape gardener and writer. I released my first book, The Thoughtful Gardener, in 2017. My second book, What Makes a Garden, will be published in October 2023. For over 20 years, I've been making gardens for a living. I've been lucky enough to work on projects all around the world, collaborating with fascinating people across the fields of design, architecture, conservation and more. While we will discuss the practical matters that go behind creating and looking after a green space, this series is about much more than that. We'll delve into what it is that inspires us to work with plants, what it is that connects us to the land, and the complex constellation of ideas, experiences, thoughts and senses that make a garden. On this episode, my guest is the celebrated chef Sky Gingle. After training in Sydney and Paris, Sky moved to London to work at the French House before taking on the role of head chef at Petersham Nurseries. As well as her recipe books, she's been food editor at Vogue. I first met Sky around 11 years ago when she invited me to design the private dining room at Spring. Sky opened her hugely successful restaurant, Spring, in 2014, located in the new wing of Somerset House in London. It celebrates a seasonal, environmentally-minded approach to cooking and has won great acclaim for its scratch menu, which aims to minimise food waste. Today, she heads the hugely popular Heckfield Place Hotel. We've remained great friends, and I was delighted when she agreed to come and speak with me. Hello, Sky. Thank Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming over. Such and, a pleasure. And having this chat. Um, have you just come from spring? I have. have I you? zoomed over in a taxi and got here very quickly. So yeah. have you been cooking? I haven't been cooking this morning. I've been in the office doing lots of things, okay. getting ready for next week. Okay. I'm, I suppose it helps to, to work out how we met each other. And I was going to say that we were introduced... How long ago is it? Um, well, we'll be going into our 10th year in October. So it was probably 11 years ago. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? I know, incredible. Um, and we were introduced by our mutual friend, Maureen Doherty. We the, were, yeah. The great clothes maker of Egg, yep. recently deceased, very sadly. And, Tragically, yeah. And um, I remember Maureen just saying, you know, Sky's been asking me who should be working with her at her new restaurant spring and I said well Ginny of course Ginny of course and that was it and it she did actually yeah she was amazing because I never actually even thought about having um she just I she just approached me said well I'm making the uniforms for spring and um obviously I didn't dare say no did she I didn't yeah she did um and I wouldn't have probably dared to dream that I know that sounds funny but you know she's so amazing and she was so you know, and the idea of having uniforms that were like not like standard, that yeah. definitely came from Maureen. Yeah. Well, they were amazing. And it was the beginning of a really extraordinary process because I was going to say that the thing that I thought about you when I first met you and all I knew about you was really was that you were writing for Vogue and that you were at Petersham, but I didn't know you. And so there was this sort of sense that you were this maverick cook, really, not a chef, a cook. Is that correct? I feel more comfortable with that word, yeah. yeah. And when we met at um, Somerset House, where Spring is, I just remember thinking, God, this woman is really ballsy because it's massive. I mean, the the room there was massive. 
The location is extraordinary. And I had people saying to me, I don't know how she's going to make that work. You know, it's only a theatre crowd. It's not had a restaurant. It was the tax office, wasn't it? Yes, it was, Inland Revenue. Yeah, with horrible orange swirly carpets yeah. and formica tables. And I, and I just remember, you know, because you had your sister Bryony doing the interiors and it was a fairly woman-heavy team. Totally, yeah. Wasn't it? And you arrived with a gigantic gunner relief. Do you remember? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I had to somehow persuade you that we couldn't have living plants in the yeah. room that you wanted living plants in. You were right about that, by the way. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I thought I might be. So, And I remember thinking, how, where do you get the, the kind of guts to go from Petersham? Were you, were you kind of consciously thinking how, that it was a massive no. step? Because um, it looked like a massive step. I think it grew in spite of myself, in a way, and... I actually, you know, if you, if I look back now and you describe it, it in many ways, it was probably sort of foolhardy. Um, it, I liked the space. Yeah. Um, I'd look for two years and yeah. I like, um, I've got a thing about kind of proportion and shape yeah. and so many things I'd seen. The light wasn't right in yeah. the light. was. I went in there one day and it was right. You're right. It was orange swirly carpet and a all the pillars were chocolate brown and it almost still smells of smoke. And, but I think it's, I mean, it's very similar to what you do in a funny way because it's also, um, I think what I do is very sensory and what you do is also incredibly sensory. And are our eyes the windows into that? And is that, is that where the kind of beauty, I mean, I always say to everyone, remember you eat with your eyes, you eat yeah. with your eyes. It was an amazing project, actually. I mean, just thinking about it, I don't actually stop and I'm coming up to nearly 10 years. So it's actually really nice to like stop and think about it. Pause and look. What a beautiful yeah. experience it actually yeah. was and what a privilege it was. Yeah. Well, I think these things do take time anyway. My projects take a very long yeah. time, you yeah. know, in order to get to the point where you really see what they're they're about. You can build I can build them relatively quickly, but then to actually really get the full flavour of them. They so grow much, into themselves. Yeah, they do. They? Yeah. yeah, they do. I was gonna I was gonna ask you a silly thing really, and that's um I've written in the book about eating pests. Mm -hmm. Because do you eat animals that are problematic so that's really interesting because I saw that in your book you had a whole kind of section and a description and illustrations of invasive species I yeah. guess they are aren't they so they're the things I saw you had crayfish on there and you yeah. had hornets in there and um and funnily enough um I've just I just recently did a dinner with Doug McMaster from Silo on invasive species did you yeah and huh. um which is it, what did you eat well it was actually we did it on, we focused on crayfish because we have a lot of crayfish at Heckfield yes, yes. and they, they're the American crayfish that yep. came in and, and kind of like have, um, I mean, one of the hard things about invasive species, they really threaten the biodiversity they and they are quite challenging, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and we ate knotweed did you? and squirrel, um, crayfish, um, and actually, um, it was that was another thing that was very interesting. I mean, he made me think about it in a different mm. way because I I'm, I'm very kind of focused on you know farming and you know yes. like regeneration and stuff like that. But actually, I hadn't. You know how it's so interesting. You can you can know about you you can kind of be very invested in something and then someone opens your eyes to a whole other thing. Mm. So it's actually been very on my mind. So when I saw it in your book. I thought that was um, like really fascinating. Well, it's a bit of a bugbear of mine because oh. um, 
certainly meat from wild animals is low cholesterol, you know, mm. high protein. It's very good for you. There's very little fat mm. in it. It's it's cheap, easy and digestible mm. and good for us. And I've had this thing for years that we could market it as fit food for fit people because yeah. otherwise we're eating slow, heavy, factory produced cows and pigs <laughs> yeah. that are miserable and with really bad, bad lifestyles. And I know, I remember, I mean, it's quite a while ago now, but they had in the Louisiana swamps in America, there was an infestation of either koipu or capybara. I can't remember, mm -hmm. but they were going to eat them, the the swamps, everything in, in the mangrove swamps. And they decided to shoot them, cook them uh, and, and sell them in roadside stands. And they called it swamp pig and they ate the lot and they solved the problem by eating this very good very nice meat that would otherwise have been a massive problem. And I don't know how we make a leap. And yeah. maybe you, you can I, doing I, I this that, into, but... into eating muntjac, which mm, are delicious, mm. but in terribly destructive yeah. to our world or deer yeah. or squirrel. Was the squirrel nice? Um, it was quite intense, actually. Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think that was the most challenging um it definitely was the most challenging. It's a very dark meat. It's it? very, um, it's very intense in flavor. And I actually don't eat a lot of meat. No. So, um, so it was like, but, but actually the knotweed was delicious. It tasted almost like asparagus. Did it? And yeah. how did you cook it? Um, so we blanched it. They made a drink out of it, which was quite beautiful. Um, uh, but then they literally poached it and then grilled it on the fire. You sort of have to strip and peel it back a bit. Um, and the crayfish is delicious. I mean, it tastes like crayfish. Yeah. The problem with the American one, it's got about as much meat on it as my little, you know, finger. little finger now. Well, a friend of mine who's made, he's a gamekeeper, but he made um, a lot of money. I mean, as a very poor gamekeeper, he was one of the first people to start trapping it and selling it to Pret-a-Manger years ago. And that's, do you remember when they started doing the crayfish, sandwiches, crayfish yeah. and rocket sandwiches yes. and it was a new thing? Well, that was him. And it's wow. sort of gone on, you know, because they're everywhere now. Yeah, they're, they're in... everywhere. So a lot of my work is trying to deal with these things because I'm, I'm, I'm not, you said it, I'm not a rewilder. I'm a regenerative person. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the gardens that I'm looking after are huge. Mm. And they come with a lot of issues because mm. they're predated on all sides. The balance of nature is completely out. Mm. And a lot of what you're doing with Fern Vero and the food that you create with Jane and, and grow and use, you're mm. a great one for, you know, a root to leaf tip eating, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I yes, I, I believe passionately in yeah. the power of good, clean soil. Yeah. You know, and I, um, and I do think that those little, you can create these really beautiful, positive carbon sequesters, in yeah. fact, you know. Yeah. And you can also do that with meat. I mean, like yeah. small dairy farms yeah. are actually really positive carbon sequesters. Yeah. It's the feedlots and things. It's the... It's the kind of mass production, it's mass production and industrialization of the food system and, and that is so destructive, yeah. really. I've, I believe in just doing the work. So for me, that relationship with Jane is one of the most important in my yeah. life because I feel like together we can make a small difference. And if we can prove that working with one farm, one farm that is deliciously clean with, yes. you know, soil that is like 
aerated chocolate and coffee. It's so exactly. healthy. Then other people might be able to do yeah. it as well. That's why in the book I go on about the Six Kingdoms because mm. I think if you're really going to turn, you know, and I do think that the gardens that we make, and gardens in my mind are not just things with flowers in, they're very much things with food in. Mm. And absolutely, you know, that's where they come from, a garden. And whole ecosystems. Whole ecosystems, yeah. you know. I mean, the fact that worms have these extraordinarily historic runs, you know, they go for miles and they can be very, very, very old. They're not supposed to be sort of chopped up by us digging constantly yeah. <laughs> and things like that. And I wanted to talk about Six Kingdoms because of the soil, because there's not really... There's a lot talked about compost at the moment, but not yeah. really about the soil. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with soil. I mean, I have been since childhood and smelling it and touching mm. it and breathing it in. The and smell it, of good soil. The smell yeah. of good soil. Mm. As a child, if, if we drove past um, ploughed fields, I'd get unbelievably excited yeah. and sort of wind the window down. Yeah. Look at that, look at that. Yeah. You start to feel this real visceral connection yeah. with the health of a soil and yeah. and the breathing it in and feeling it and then and then you have a confidence that everything that's coming out of it is going to be good. Whatever. Do you sort of feel like when you create <clears throat> gardens because I very much feel this about um Heckfield and Fernvero actually that we're custodians of that land and it's yeah. our job. Is yeah. is that how you sometimes go into jobs? Oh totally. Yeah. I mean I I feel that well it's interesting because when I first started gardening you know when I started my practice it was around 2000 2001 and it was when foot and mouth had, was happening mm. so I can't quite remember when that was and I grew up very much associated with farming because my father was a tractor designer and so whenever he possibly could we'd be on farms and I just loved being outside and smelling the ground and you know being around that sort mm. of production and always hoped I'd be a farmer's wife because I like the idea of it because with foot and mouth, what happened, which coincided with the beginning of my career, is farmers were having to give up because mm. they were all bankrupted by it. Um, and so people that I worked with were starting to buy farms and then phone me up and say, you know, I've bought a 400-acre dairy farm. Um, can you make me a garden? And I'd say, well, no, I can't because it shouldn't be a garden. And that started my whole relationship with large pieces of land that weren't any any longer fitting into contemporary farming mm -hmm. culture. And then what do we do with it? How do we actually turn these things into little arcs? I call yeah. them the little arcs, really. And the more little arcs we can make that have yeah. the best possible practices, you know, so balancing the wild animals, looking after the soil, still using animals but using them differently, you know, getting people, most of my clients are really happy to raise, we've just got pigs on, on one estate. So the pigs are clearing the woods and then we're going to eat them, but we yeah. only need to have a few. Yeah. And then that feeds into the local community, the family, the people who work there and a few other people, you know, so we try and make these little closed yeah. systems much like you're doing. And I try and get everybody excited to go along with it. Yeah. So that's like, really interesting because when you say that, I'm thinking, I always think, um, how I always think about things is one plus one plus one, mm. you know, because I think that sometimes the bigger picture is so overwhelming, yeah. isn't it? You know, like <clears throat> we're in such a pickle wherever yeah. we look. I yeah. mean, the pickle is, it's just this great big knot and you can't look at anything in isolation, not really. No. But so how do you, 
how do you make sense of it and contribute to it? And I always say to everyone, it's one plus one plus one. So it's one little arc. Yeah. Plus one little arc. Yeah. Plus one little yeah. arc. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's a, um, yeah. That's it's a small but meaningful difference because yeah. the big picture is too overwhelming. Yeah. And it's why I can't really be political because it's too, too. too big and overwhelming. But what I can do yeah. is apply every ounce of my personal energy and intelligence yeah. To doing that, much do, like yeah. you do. It's you know. doing the work, really, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I, Jane and I talk about that all yes. the time. It's just about doing the work. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and I was brought up in a Quaker house, and it's do as you would be done by, yeah. and it sticks in your head. You know, that's that- a, I, I always <laughs> said that to my kids, like there's one motto. I, I think it's so important to treat others how you would be treated, which yeah. is the same thing, same but it thing. kind of sums up everything, yeah, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. There's nothing really else to say. Not really. I mean, that's why it's interesting to write a book because all of a sudden then you're, I'm thrust into mm. a world where everybody can read about who I am and how I think and all the rest of it. Mm. But most of the time, it's a very closed thing and it's just me and a few people, yeah. the few people I work with in the room next door and my clients. And it's a very kind of, um, it's very private, really. Yeah. And yet I know that we're doing these things that are making a big difference. Yeah. Even though that difference... Small but important. Small yeah. but important. Probably never will be noticed. Yeah. No. But I, I think that's right. I mean, I actually was talking about it the, um, the other day, actually. I think you should never... Um, even though what we do is small, it can be change-making. Mm. And, you know, I think that um, definitely something like writing a book or doing the work that you do, I think you probably influence people more than you think. I mean, you know, I was actually talking about it with Ruthie Rogers, you know, mm. and... Actually, I know it sounds funny, but, you know, Cavallo Nero, that is, you can get it in every Tesco, Sainsbury's local, yeah. it's a generic thing, but it didn't even, people outside of Tuscany didn't even know what the black cabbage of Tuscany, it was particular to, it was very much of the terroir. Yes. And actually, if you're in the south of Italy, you never would have seen Cavallo Nero, but it was yes. Ruth and, and, and Rose who fell in love with it in Tuscany and brought the seeds back to Secrets Farm, actually. Yes. And now the influence it's had is absolutely huge. Enormous. Yeah. So I think in a way you should never, like, obviously it's no, there's no point thinking about the bigger picture and where it would go. I think that's the sort of recipe for, I think you just do the... the do your thing. And if the ripples yeah. ripple out, yeah. then so be exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, that's another reason I wrote about the plants that changed the world, because... It, it, it it was a bit about, you know, how these, I mean, it is fascinating when you start looking at it, you know, they've changed, uh, you know, look what sugar's done. Mm. It's absolutely astonishing, isn't it? Incredible, yeah. And then I was reading a bit about the potato Cotton. and the fact that the in South America, there were about 200 different tubers that they had mm. as a potato. It wasn't just one potato. And mm. I think that's another little resonance with what, you and Jane are doing because you're eating, you're not the Mons, you know, Monsanto and mm. the, taking the power away from individuals and growing a monocrop that you yeah. own and monetize. You're the complete other end where you're changing. Well, how much do you change what you grow? Do you think about it a great deal, um, we, variety wise? We, um, so I suppose, I mean, the one thing I've really learned about England, you would know this, and I, I didn't really know it, was that it's so, there's so many little microclimates with mm. on the island. Oh, yes. So <laughs> Heckfield is a very flat, very hot, actually where our market garden is, it's so hot in the summer. It's this is sort it? of very still, this, the soil is very sandy. 
Um, and it actually grows almost Mediterranean. We've grown melons and watermelons this year. and uh, In the walled garden? In uh, No, right Over. down on the farm, which is oh, sort okay. of a little bit further down, okay. which is even hotter than where the wall goes. It's completely different. And then Jane is up in the kind of... Um, uh, in at in the Black Mountains yeah, in Herefordshire, which is very sort of it's very intimate, it's very um, dank, yes. it's very um, her soil is just the the difference in the soil. I mean, she has been farming for twenty nine years. Is it that rich dark Herefordshire? It's rich, it's yeah, dark, it's chocolatey, yeah. it's aerated. Yeah. It's just like so beautiful. Yeah. And actually, I think the soil in Her at, in at Heckfield is probably a combination of being um, not highly industrially farmed, but fairly sort of commercially farmed mm. um, for a very long, long period of time. And we're now, uh, we got our organic certification in 218 right. and then our biodynamic in 219. It's, oh, a, it's a little bit further process along. But like I've seen the change in the soil over the 10 yeah. years that I've been there and it has improved yeah. exponentially, um, although it still has some way to go. And Jane yeah. always said it'll take 10 years for the soil. And is it sandy? Sandy. Yeah, that's hard work. It's I hard mean, it's work. easy for things Stony, to grow. Stony, yeah. sandy. It's Weeds love it down poor. there. Yeah, Very it's poor, poor quality. It? Yeah. I mean, the thing I love about talking to you is that I can talk to you about soil and you're also running this massive business mm. and you still have to think about covers and mm. bums on seats yeah. and the beauty of food. Yeah. And, you know, I think for both of us, our our jobs are so broad spectrum, yeah. aren't they? And that to maintain this sort of distillate of the need for it to be a beautiful, accessible thing at the end of it is quite... Yeah, I mean, Quite I always unusual, think about, run, well, spring, I, I mean, I would always say that we run spring one plate at a time. Right. So one perfect plate at a time. Yeah. And that's, I, I never think, I think the bigger things, the bigger picture follows, like the bums on seats follow. Yeah. None of it matters. None of it matters. If there's not one, the next perfect plate, yeah. you know, or is what we would deem as perfect. Maybe, it, I know not everybody loves spring and, you know, it's not for everyone. But I think I kind of focus on that and I hope the rest follows sort of yeah. thing. I'm not really a big picture thinker, I don't think. I no. think I'm micro more than macro. Yeah. And how do you keep <clears throat> yourself inspired with it? I mean, um, by, I mean, honestly. With food, I mean specifically. Do, yeah, do you know, it's honestly conversations like we're having now. Yeah. It's, um, it's not necessarily, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a bit of it of kind of eating out or traveling and, but it's a combination of all sorts mm. of things, you know, I mean, it's much more about like what will re-energize me for mm. that kind of creative process to be alive and actually a conversation about soil, mm. like or your creative process or your little arcs, which I think mm. is a, a really beautiful term. Like they're all the things that I'll come away and I'll go, okay, I can do another day. <laughs> in, in a way, actually, it is really like that for me. I mean, I get my energy definitely from other people and yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do because I I think every time we get a new project, it's like a it's like a new theatre production. You know, yeah. you, you have a whole new cast of characters, and even though in some respects the content is similar, mm. it never is mm -mm. because it's always going to be driven by. And do you ever feel like I have to take a deep breath and go on again? Yeah, like because I feel like that about menus sometimes. Sometimes you know, and creativity is a funny thing, isn't yeah. it? Like it, my mom, my mother who paints actually, and um. 
she, I remember her telling me years ago, and I remember sort of feeling there's been times when I felt incredibly dry inside. That's the only way I can explain it. I don't have... And she would always say to me, you, you're not creative all the time. And that actually was really yes. lovely to hear that, you yeah. know, because sometimes if you, people think you're creative, they think it's just like bang, 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 yeah. next. And sometimes you are in a flow. But I've had very fallow periods in yeah. my life where it's the only thing I can really do is get up and turn up at work. You, you know, you're just mean? knackered. Sometimes I'm just knackered and I'm and sometimes I'm on fire, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, sometimes and a lot of the time I'm knackered. Yeah. 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 And were you like it when you were little? Um I suppose so. I mm, that's interesting. I feel like maybe I was, but I feel that I've definitely had a life in two parts mm. and the second part of my life has been a lot happier. Yeah. And I found who I have. I, 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 I'm a late bloomer yes, in many same. ways. Yeah. I remember when I was probably about six saying to my father, I think I'll make more sense when I'm 40. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. That was very and I wise. think it, it was very prescient of me because <clears throat> I, I didn't enjoy particularly being a child. And yeah. I think yeah. it, uh, I, I was frustrated by lots of things because yeah. I think, you know, one's brain sometimes evolves or you're born with a different perception of things and I didn't have the tools I need you know I'm loving my life now I've got, yeah I've got all the things I need to do the thing I'm good at and I can be um, a happy monomaniac really, yeah you know? I mean I I agree with you completely like the the second half as I've gotten older has been the more fruitful, yeah. the happier, the, yeah. um, I know. And when I look at young kids, someone said to me yesterday, oh my God, I'm 38, like blah, blah. And I was like, my <laughs> God, like, I wish I'd known that. I, I, yeah. I'd wish I'd known that you can, um, you can reinvent yourself the yeah. whole way along the line and you can find yourself at any yeah. point. You know, I think I would have been much, um, I remember when I opened Petership and I was probably like 39, yeah. And I just thought, oh, my God, I'm so old. And I actually have, I mean, although I am knackered quite a lot, I also have more energy. Yeah, it's and, funny, isn't it? Yeah, more freedom of thought now than I ever did when I was young. I think the more energy is the fact that you know what not to worry about. Yeah, and what it? to leave alone. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I find I'm t- I talk quite a lot with the team about things, you know, like uh, today we did a little thing about um, not taking direct hits from from information, you know, that suddenly wind you and then you yeah. have to, you know, I, yeah. I learned a while ago to sidestep things like that and yeah. not be hit amidships by And also stuff, I think lastly you know, is like really nice. I can also, I can leave things alone more now too, yeah. you know, and I can actually allow other people to do the, some of the stuff. Yeah. It, at one point of my life, I thought I'm only good if I'm doing it yeah. actually I'm in the kitchen a lot less than I was yeah um and I mean I still put on my uniform and I would probably be in the kitchen four days a week but there would be a time that there wasn't a you know if I wasn't over involved in everything then I wasn't working hard enough and, yes you that's, know, yeah that's hard to drop that's isn't it? really hard to drop yeah, and to I drop. have started I to drop it. it no <laughs> I haven't completely either but it's allowing <laughs> other people to realize how capable yeah. they are how you know you can be a mentor um as you get yeah. older too and I I, I think that's another great privilege, isn't yeah. it? Of watching yeah. the people under and you handing it on. and allowing them to do yeah. it. Not feeling you have to be an egomaniac and be involved yeah. in everything. So to, to to wrap us up, do you think you've got another big move in you or, or do you not think like that? Do you think um, it's a... 
I, okay, I mean, that's a hard one. I think that I haven't got a huge ambition to conquer the world. Mm -mm. And I have, money has never been a deciding factor with me. I mean, I I don't have the fear of poverty, Mm. although probably if I stop working, I might. But I'm not driven by money. I'm, I'm, I, I want to have a restaurant that's beautiful and at at 25 yeah. years as yeah. a 10 and then I love little side projects. Yeah. Like I cuz they really stimulate They're really me. exciting, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. But I I don't yeah. know if I want another I don't want to have a stable of restaurants or no. that's not what I want. But no. I do want to push myself. I I always say to everybody, you know, like I think pushing yourself is amazing for your self-esteem and I think you can find out the greatness within yeah. and I think it, there is that in everybody and that's through taking risks a little yeah. bit and seeing how, yeah. how far you can go. Not opening Sky Squirrel Shack. No, I'm not opening a Squirrel <laughs> Shack or a Crayfish Shack. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sky. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of What Makes a Garden. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, leave a review and share with your friends. To find out more, you can head to my website, ginnyblom.com, or find me on Instagram, at ginny.blom. The book, What Makes a Garden, will be published by Quarto and available to buy online from all good bookshops from the 19th of October, 2023. This podcast was produced by Danielle Radoichin at In Talks With, sound by Warren Borg at Wargi Productions, original music commissioned by Ginny Blom, composed by Peter John Vitesse and produced by Mark Fox at Re-Record. <laughs>